Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. Tonight on The Readout. We're seeing proliferating global challenges from Russia's aggression and brutality in Europe to our competition with China and a whole hell of a lot in between. Pennsylvania, we were so far up, hundreds of thousands of votes ahead. And all of a sudden, you saw that drop at, what is it, 3.02 in the morning with, you know, the chart coming down, 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 down. The votes are running out, bop, 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 bing, bing. And all of a sudden, we lose Pennsylvania. Lord Jesus. As the right continues to push fringe positions, personal grievances, and conspiracy theories, Team Normal, led by President Biden, is displaying actual, effective, stable leadership at home and abroad. Also tonight, the right is turning the defense of the violent January 6th criminals into a movement. And as usual, Kevin McCarthy is complicit. And you might not know the name Mark Wayne Mullen. This week, the cage fighter turned Republican senator said, quote, I don't want reality. And I have some thoughts about his reality free rant about teaching children about race. But we begin tonight with the rise of Team Normal. Thanks to President Joe Biden. Well, Bidening after his theory of the case in politics that bipartisanship is best, actually won out last night when the House of Representatives voted to pass the debt deal he worked out with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Because guess what? Normal may not be flashy, but it is a winning strategy. Not only did the House pass the bill to suspend the nation's debt ceiling for two years and resolve the budget in the process, it showed that normalcy can prevail over political extremism. With the bill winning a resounding 314 votes, carried over the line not by Kevin's Republicans, but rather by Democrats, 165 of them. The no votes came largely from the right and left flanks of both parties. And while progressives have every right to be annoyed that President Biden negotiated with the loony caucus on the nation's full faith and credit at all, in the end, Biden's strategy to win over House Democrats and, as Lawrence O'Donnell pointed out on this show yesterday, getting the budget out of the way in the process worked. And while plenty of us in the media are ready, are ready to give, well, maybe not us, because I ain't, ready to give Kevin McCarthy his flowers for what exactly? Taking our economy hostage, not falling completely on his face and relying on Hakeem Jeffries to get the deal passed while a quarter of Kevin's caucus voted against it? McCarthy himself was full of praise for Biden's team after last night's vote. And in particular, Office of Management and Budget Director Shalanda Young and Senior Advisor Steve Reschetti. I will tell you, the individuals, from Shalanda Young to Rashetti, I have the utmost respect for them. They are bright. They are tough negotiators. As for Kevin's House Republicans, the 71 MAGA Republicans who voted against the bill are still mad that they didn't get to kick the poors and that Kevin had the audacity to cut a deal with Biden at all. And even this not-so-bright crew can see that he got out negotiated. And that is because Joe Biden actually is effective at doing this job in a low-key way that is light on bragging but heavy on delivering for the American people. In this case, saving us from a catastrophic default. But even before this, 
with the Inflation Reduction Act or the bipartisan infrastructure law or the most significant gun violence reduction legislation in 30 years, again, Biden ain't flashy. But he has proven time and time again that he can deliver, even when some of us in the media doubt his bipartisan strategy. And if Biden is captain of Team Normal, his 2024 opposition is shaping up to be a bunch of anything but. People who want to ban abortion, ban books, pardon January 6th insurrectionists, and somehow ban wokeness, and also magically make people not be gay or trans anymore. And not a whole lot else. Donald Trump keeps proving he's unfit for office since he fomented an insurrection, got indicted on 34 felonies, was found liable for sexual abuse and defamation. And he's now under increased scrutiny from federal prosecutors over a tape of him talking about how he kept a classified document on Iran that he knew was secret and hadn't declassified. Then there's Ron DeSantis, who can't even figure out how to pronounce his own last name and has no real positions on anything other than, to paraphrase 2008 Joe Biden, making every sentence a noun, a verb, and the word woke. When he isn't cosplaying as Biff from Back to the Future, like he did in New Hampshire today. Governor, how come you're not taking questions from voters? Stop coming up to me, talk to me. What are you talking about? I'm not here working with people. Are you are you blind? Are you blind? I'm not blind. Okay, so people are coming up to me, talking to me, whatever they want to talk to me about. I am mean anti-woke robot. <laughs> and there's South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who couldn't articulate his own views on a six-week abortion ban one week after praising the one just passed in his own state. So would you sign a six-week abortion ban? Thank you for asking the question twice. But here's what I would suggest, that in order for us to be able to have a conversation about limits, let's start with a 40-week. Is it, is, do you, would you agree with a 40-week abortion? I'm a journalist. Well, you have an opinion, though. So here's my point. I'm also a woman. Here's my point. Well, I mean, so you... you so I do have an opinion, yes. Uh, yeah, of course. But, but I, I do, too. Why is Tim Scott? <laughs> as, for the, uh, as for the other candidates, I, I, I don't even know what Nikki Haley's purpose in this campaign is, frankly, except to join Asa Hutchinson as potentially viable in the extinct 2014 version of the Republican Party. But it is about to get even more crowded. Next week, former New Jersey governor and bridge-closing expert Chris Christie is expected to toss his hat in, presumably for the sole purpose of becoming a human torpedo aimed at Donald Trump. And former Vice President Mike Pence will soon begin his quest to convince the people who wanted to hang him at the Capitol during the January 6th insurrection to make him president instead. But the challenge for all of these people is that President Biden is the actual president. He's the incumbent. And he is delivering actual results. None of them have offered a thing to vote for. And as the old saying goes, you can't beat something with nothing. Joining me now is Jen Psaki, former White House press secretary and host of Inside with Jen Psaki, Sundays at noon Eastern, right here on MSNBC. And Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark, um, who has the disadvantage of being away from us. But I am going to start with you, ladies first. Jen, you know, I I do feel like Biden has this misunderestimated thing, right, where Mm -hmm. people assume, oh, you know, he's too old, he doesn't know what he's doing, and then he just keeps delivering— you know, today he, he tripped over a, you know, I guess there was like a sandbag yeah. on and Twitter and the right are going crazy. It's currently dominating Fox News primetime. It's the yeah. most important thing in the world. <laughs> First of all, Donald Trump is 76. He's not exactly yes. young. And, you know, it's the advanced team or whoever's fault that they put a sandbag in front of him. I, I trip in my own house. I mean, it's not easy. Same, same. So, so what do you think it is about Joe Biden? Is it is he so enraging to the right because he is so normal? What what do you think it is about him that drives him nuts? Well, if you look back, Joy, to 2020, they were trying to figure out how to take him out. They right. can't make him extreme. Yeah. They can't really make him offensive. I mean, yeah. one, he's 
a white man who's yeah. older. So, yeah. you know, he is comfortable He's to many base. in their base. The many in their base. Um, but I think also they have uh, underestimated him at many times, yeah. as you just said, as many people have. That's not necessarily a disadvantage to Joe Biden. I mean, I worked yeah. for him for a year and a half. He's always been underestimated. He's yeah. got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because right. of that. That can serve you well. But I think they, they're just, they're trying to throw a lot of spaghetti up at the wall yeah. to try to take him down. And so far, they haven't quite figured it out. That's why when you talk to Republican strategists back in 2020, they would say, we don't really want it to be Joe Biden. Yeah. People aren't freaked out by him. And, and, and the thing is, Charlie, there is a reason why Donald Trump was willing to try to bribe the president of Ukraine to not make it Joe Biden, right? To destroy Joe Biden, because I right. think he understands that We're he actually is right. He's more like Donald Trump's base than Donald Trump or certainly Ron DeSantis, Harvard and Yale. Uh, here he is Ron DeSantis today because there he's trying to sort of scale himself as I'm the working class man's hero that's going to somehow make wokeness disappear from the White House. But here he is actually being himself. Here he is. Leadership at the end of the day, it's not about entertainment. It's not about building a brand. It's not about virtue signaling. It's about producing results. Sorry, that was yesterday, but every day is basically the same day <laughs> with, with Ron DeSantis because he just keeps saying the same thing. I mean, the reality is all he does is virtue signal. He has no policies in Florida on insurance, taxes, you know, price of rent. All he does is virtue signal. Woke, 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 on a ban books, ban books, woke. I mean, that is virtue signaling. <laughs> I don't understand what he is other than that. And that ain't well, working class. Well, also, you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad that Jen highlighted what's going on over at Fox News right now, because uh, it is uh, absolutely essential for them to uh, run uh, Joe Biden falling down on a loop because <laughs> they don't want to focus on what's been playing out over the last week. I mean, Joe Biden had a very, very good week being president of the United States, being misunderestimated, um, you know, having a a. a a, a deal that looks better all the time. Um, now, there were those of us like me who said he should have used his bully pulpit. I think he actually played the inside game very, very effectively. So we are not going to have a default. We are not uh, rushing into a recession. We don't have a crisis at the border. And so it's very important to distract attention from that, but also to the point you're making about normal versus crazy. Now, I, I know that most people like want to live their lives, especially going into the weekend, and you don't want to spend time reading tweets or, or bleats from so yes. Truth Social by, by uh, Donald Trump. But if you actually paid attention to him on a daily basis, you are seeing someone who is decompensating, who is becoming more deranged almost by the day. If this was the kind of thing that you saw a family member or a coworker uh, doing, you would ask for an intervention. You would yeah. you would make a wellness call on all yeah. of this. So the Republicans do have this problem. They would love for next year to be a referendum on Joe Biden. In fact, it might be a referendum on do you want normal or more of the crazy, the exhausting craziness that you're seeing right now? Because this is really a pretty dramatic moment. And, you know, if it is, in fact, Donald Trump, I think a lot of people are going to go, okay, we just can't do this anymore, no matter no matter what. So the contrast this week is was pretty dramatic, I thought. 
You know, and I think the other piece is, and, and I, I will say this to both of you, that I think that because of the conversation that the right kind of drives, mm -hmm. you would think that more people than actually in the real world sit around thinking about wokeness. Yeah. I promise you they don't. No. In the real life, I mean, I think that the right has- People can't even define it. They don't even know what it is, but they also don't think about it. Yeah. I don't think that parents in the real world are thinking, oh my God, I cannot let the bluest eye be read by my child. No. It'll destroy her, right? Like this isn't something, because parents don't even know what their kids are reading in school. Like, and I think that they have, because even if it's not Trump, let's say it's Tim Scott. It's not going to be Tim Scott, but let's say it is. What is Tim Scott for? They're all, all of their ideas are about changing society, mm -hmm. about changing the way society acts. A president can't do that. Biden is like, I'm going to get you some money. I'm going to yeah. get you some student loan relief, which Republicans right now are voting to overturn student loan relief, student debt relief. And he's going to veto it. Who are young people going to say is on their side? Him. Exactly. Look, I, I often think about I'm not in, in their campaigns, blissfully, but who are they listening to? And who do they think, who is telling them that anti-woke or elitism, which was another big tick calling card for yeah. Ron DeSantis this week, is what people care about? I can tell you what, how Joe Biden gets his information. Even in the White House, he would go home every weekend to Delaware. He'd go to church every Saturday. After church, he'd talk to people after church, and he'd come back to the White House and say to us, so-and-so doesn't understand what our what our rules are on COVID. Right. So-and-so is, like, really concerned and doesn't understand what the debt limit is. Right. He would talk to normal, real people. Right. He would see at church who would tell them, and sometimes they were things that were critical of his administration, how we were communicating, or whatever it is. They are running a campaign based on Twitter, based on Truth yes, Social, based it. on fundraising, based on getting more likes. It is disconnected from the country, yeah. to your point, and people who are struggling to put food on the table, to get health care, right. to make sure their kids are getting an education and can pay for an education. And that is the root of their problem, yeah. who they're listening to. And the thing about it is, you know, uh, Ron Brownstein, who I, I think is brilliant, wrote a, a great mm -hmm. piece um, that talked about, you know, the gray yeah. versus the brown, right? Is that Republicans are, are, are out to sort of speak to the needs of older, whiter people. But if you talk to younger people, the things that they complain about in real life that my kids complain about who are Gen Y and Gen Z is I can't afford rent. How much is rent going to be if I need to, you know, move out on my own? You know, is Biden getting the student loan thing yeah. fixed? That's very important to them. It's things about the economy. Younger people actually care about the policy. Is he going to do something on guns? So younger people are actually the ones who care about policy. And to the extent they're critical of Biden, it's because he hasn't gotten enough policy done for them. Right. But the other side, let me just give you an example. This is Mr. I don't do branding and virtue signaling. Here is who Ron DeSantis, who doesn't even pronounce his, he doesn't know how to pronounce his name. It's either DeSantis or DeSantis, depending on whether his wife is telling him what, what, is, what it is. Joseph Latipo is his Surgeon General in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. Here's Joseph Latipo, a couple of things he's done. He says it's a lie that masks save lives. He's altered key findings on the COVID vaccine study. He um, misrepresented research about gender-affirming care. And here he is standing with a woman called Stella Emanuel in front of the Supreme Court, peddling hydroxychloroquine during the pandemic. You know what she believes, oh, Stella Emanuel? She believes that um, scientists are creating a vaccine to stop people from being religious and that health problems are caused by people having sex in their dreams with demons and witches. Wow. That's who he stood with. That's who Ron DeSantis decided ought to be Florida's top yeah. surgeon.
Make just it. asking questions. It is interesting, by the way, that Ron DeSantis <laughs> is now attacking uh, Donald Trump from the right on the whole issue mm. of vaccines, criticizing Donald Trump for for war, which is a very, very interesting flex there. Um, you know, sometimes <laughs> listening to to both uh, DeSantis and, and Trump, though, to to your point about the way they're keep talking about woke, you almost need a decoder ring uh, to <laughs> understand what it is like, they're what's talking happening? about. You have to be you have to be so deep in that bubble of Fox News or the yeah. conservative or, or conservative, you know, Twitter to understand exactly what they are talking because they are right. talking to one another. And what is interesting right now is that you have a lot of the energy that's going on on the right aimed at attacking one another. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that Donald Trump is making fun of Ron DeSantis for talking about woke. And did you see that where, where yes. uh, Donald Trump <laughs> says, what does woke, woke, woke mean? I have no idea why he keeps talking mm -hmm. about all of this. So what you're about to see, I think, is, and I think a lot of people thought it was going to be just sort of a, a kabuki dance, but watch the way in which the Omaga is cracking up, the way yeah. in which they are turning their obsessions against one another, pushing themselves further and further to the right, and using language and raising issues that have nothing to do, nothing to do. with people's lives. I mean, it, right. it is people who believe that what is online is the real life, so they're, I mean, it's real mm -hmm. life. And so, you know, instead of going to churches and asking people, you know, what do you actually care about? They're using these code words, these buzzwords, this virtue signaling to one another. Yeah. And, and as a result, they're getting themselves whipped up to a, you know, the extent that when we get to the general election, I think people are going to go, who are you? What are you talking about? How does this relate to anything in the actual world that we live in? And the, the thing about it is, is that while they're doing that, because I think Charlie's right, they're listening to each other and they're mm -hmm. fighting to each get to the right of each right. other. What they're forgetting is they're all they've gone so far to the right that they're now at six week abortion ban. It's hard to get back. Well, women, there are half the population have now been told by them, by even the ones who sound friendly like Tim yeah. Scott, you have no rights as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Ten year old, you want to talk about grooming. Ten year old girls should be forced to give birth to their rapist child. You want to talk about grooming? They're ignoring yeah. the peril they've put themselves in. They only listen to each other. So they think a national abortion ban is good policy. That's exactly right, Joy. I mean, they're running, as Charlie just said, they're, they're running yeah. against each other. They're trying to outright each other. Exactly. Right. So on abortion, that's such a perfect example. Abortion bans, a six-week abort, which is basically an abortion ban. Let's yeah. just call it what it is. Yeah. Even beyond that, I mean, Ron DeSantis has been talking about skirting Article 2 of the Constitution and expanding power beyond his predecessors. Yeah. I mean, that is crazy. Yeah. That is, that is going beyond Trump and trying to seize more power than Trump did. And by the way, he got away with a lot. So yeah. that is exactly what we're seeing. It's scary, but it is going to be hard for them, whomever the nominee is, if it's not Trump, which we'll all be surprised, whoever it is, yeah. to come back from that. Because women in this country do not want a six-week abortion ban or an abortion ban, which is what it is. And the bottom line is, if you're legislating that making it illegal to cross state lines, you're now in under-his-eye territory. Mm -hmm. You've right. now told the country that what you stand for is banning books, is forcing little girls mm -hmm. to give birth and potentially die giving birth. Right. I mean, it, it's it, they're they're tripping over themselves to become more unelectable than each other. And the thing about it is, Charlie, the ones who are semi normie have no yeah. shot. Right. There isn't a normie no, who could get none. the nomination. They're trapped in a feedback loop. And I don't see how they get out. 
No, I, I don't see how they get out because the, the 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 normies will make a lot of noise. But this is a Republican Party that right now is still you know wholly owned subsidiary of of uh, Trump Trump world, and it will be until that changes. And I don't see that changing any time. And to Jen's point, I don't know how you dial this back in a general election campaign. And you know what normies get? The debt ceiling done. <laughs> the normies <laughs> all got together go and said, we're going to go ahead and pay our credit card bill. And y'all go a, ahead a, a and yell about the, what you want. deal with the Marxist, communist, socialist yeah. uh, Joe Biden. I mean, that was their big yeah. thing, right? But suddenly now they're dealing with him and compromising with him. I don't think that's really settled in yet. And, and by the way, if he's a falling down 80-year-old that doesn't know where his pants are, He's still beating you. Think about what you're saying about you. You're saying, oh, look, he fell. He fell while beating you. <laughs> Jen Psaki and Charlie Sykes. I mean, come on, make it make sense, y'all. Be logical. <laughs> Thank y'all very much. And don't miss Inside with Thanks. Jen Psaki. It is a fabulous show Sundays at noon Eastern right here on MSNBC. You can also catch new original episodes every Thursday exclusively on Peacock. And up next... From pardon to promises of un- to promises to unhinged conspiracy theories, how the right is trying to turn January 6th defendants into heroic patriots. Read out exactly this. <laughs> Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. There is no other way to see what happened on January 6th other than for what it was, a heinous and violent attack on our capital and on our very democracy by a mob of Donald Trump supporters with the clear intention of trying to forcibly keep a losing, outgoing president in power. That is, unless you're a Republican who has embraced the insurrectionists' cause, trying to turn rioters into patriots and heroes, and an attempt to overthrow an election into a movement. We learned yesterday from Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is poised to hand over the January 6th security videos, the same 40,000 hours of footage that he gave to now-fired former Fox host Tucker Carlson earlier this year, to even farther-right conspiracy theorist Trump allies. I guess Tuckums wasn't able to do the job of lionizing the insurrectionists well enough, so McCarthy is letting new people take a crack at it. You also have the two leading Republican presidential candidates talking about pardoning some of those very insurrectionists if either wins next year. Trump even recorded a song with some of the jailed January 6th rioters and played it during at least one of his presidential rallies. So it is no wonder that we continue to see protests in support of those insurrectionists, including outside the D.C. jail 
where many of them are being held. The latest one, on Memorial Day, was rife with conspiracy theories, including that U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died after responding on January 6th, was actually killed by the Capitol Police and not as a result of the insurrectionists bear spraying and assaulting him. Join me now is Sandra Garza, longtime partner of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who did die in the aftermath of the January 6th violence. Sandra, it's always good to see you. I just have to get your reaction to that protest on, of all days, Memorial Day, that had these people lionizing the insurrectionists. First of all, it was very shocking to me. I just could not believe that they would be that brazen to even make a statement like that. Uh, clearly, Brian, his poor body was stressed to the limit that day because of the actions of what they all did that day. So it was very shocking. It was staggering. And it was really, really upsetting to me. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I actually was notified about all of this because I created a Twitter account, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some good people out there um, and on Twitter. And they notified me of all of this. And um, because I never would have known about it had they not notified me of this. And they sent me some links in the videos. Yeah. And that's actually how I learned about it. But I was shocked. I was really shocked, Joy. I mean, some of the the images you see, they've taken Brian Sicknick's face, Officer Sicknick's face, and and put it on a sign claiming he was killed by by the police. I mean, first of all, it is an affront to the Capitol Police officers who were the heroes um, to try to claim that he was also, he was killed by a fellow police officer. Um, They're also walking around with signs with Ashley Babbitt. Right. Doing the same thing. And I want to just play with you what Donald Trump said today, talking about Ashley Babbitt. They shot Ashley, Ashley Babbitt for no reason whatsoever. They shot a thug. He was a thug who shot her. And it's a disgrace. What The way they've treated those people is... Uh, and everywhere I go, somebody brings up the whole J6 situation. The way they've treated those people. Uh, you watch what happens. You watch what happens. And I will note that the officer um, who shot uh, Ashley Babbitt because she was trying to smash into the speaker's lounge is African-American. Because, so we know that Donald Trump reserves the term thug for black folks uh, normally. But Ashley Babbitt's mother was also at that protest. Right. Um, here she is striking a counter protester and smashing her megaphone. I think we have video of that or a photo of it um, for which she was arrested uh, on Tuesday and charged with simple assault and destruction of property. That's the mother of Ashley Babbitt. At this stage, she is also being held up as some sort of a hero. Right. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, there's no excuse for violence, period. Um, I don't excuse her actions at all. I feel, obviously, I feel bad for her. She's a grieving mother. She lost her daughter. But there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for that at all. Um, She needs to pull it together. um, And regardless of what her personal feelings are, that's not okay. She can't be out there attacking people. I feel she is being used as a political pawn. I feel she's being lied to uh, by Donald Trump and others. Uh, So I do feel bad for her in that regard. Mm -hmm. But there is no excuse for her to be hitting people and attacking people. I'm going to play one more piece of video, and then I will play no more. Uh, This is Marjorie Greene, who I don't really like playing, but we're going to go ahead and play her, um, saying what I think is the dumbest thing I probably have heard about January 6th. Here it is. You see, this should never happen. 
The federal government should never be weaponized against the people and set up honeypots and traps to draw people in and, and actually take part in making these people commit crimes and then framing the people to set up a narrative against a president. It's wrong. And I believe that's what happened on January 6th. Okay, that's idiotic. But, I, you know, I, the thing that I will note and what brings all of this together is that none of these people who talk about January 6th ever speak about the loss of life of police officers, the police right. officers that were injured, the dozens and dozens who ended up in the hospital. Right. Um, and, of course, um, your loved one who ended up dead. Right. Have you noticed that as somebody whose partner was a police officer? They never talk about what they suffered. Yes, I have. And I find it despicable, particularly since these are leaders of our country and they won't acknowledge the loss of life, the heroism of these officers or the other people that were just hurt that day. Yeah. Uh, there were staffers in there. Mm-hmm. There was um, innocent people. I mean, the people who cleaned the building that had to clean up feces and urine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is unacceptable. I, I just, I cannot wrap my head around it, how they can get away with doing this. Uh, Joy, it really is upsetting to me, and it's not fair to these people. Uh, but particularly, obviously, I'm more passionate and upset about the way Brian has been treated. Brian has been spit on, mistreated. He supported Trump. Mm -hmm. Trump has never called me. He's never called Brian's family. Mm -hmm. He's never acknowledged Brian's heroism. He's never acknowledged that he died, uh, like you were just saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, it's very, very uh, upsetting. Yes. And it's incredibly offensive that he would acknowledge Ashley Babbitt, who, yes. you know, it's it's sad yes. that she's dead, but she was yes. trying to hurt people, right. but she not was. acknowledge Brian Sicknick, who lay in state That's in correct. our Capitol as That's a correct. hero and for the former president of the United States and any of these right. members of Congress to not even acknowledge him right. and just ignore that sacrifice. And he was a hero. He Absolutely. defended democracy. Absolutely. He defended lots of people that day, protected them. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very sickening. As somebody who has to do a lot of stories about police who do things that are not so great, those officers were absolutely heroes, yes. absolutely 100% heroes, yes. and they deserve those medals of honor that they got from the Congress and not from these people who voted against it. Sandra Garza, thank, thank you. you. And moments ago, thank you. Moments ago, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that he has locked in the votes to pass the debt ceiling bill. The Senate is now voting on 11 amendments with final passage of the debt ceiling bill coming later tonight. And up next. But the reality is... Do you think this is Could she answer pay- the question, please? Now, I don't want reality. I'm asking the question, which one is better? That is exactly, that's exactly what it is. Reality check, like so many of his right-wing colleagues, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma doesn't want reality. And it turns out that is actually kind of a problem. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops, on. TVs, streaming. Game console, consoling. Smart thermostat, set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera, 
Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go, you are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Hearings on Capitol Hill sometimes include, let's just say, odd moments. But yesterday, we saw something just straight up bizarre during a hearing of the Senate's Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, when one Republican senator decided to go after a children's book. I have a book here in here in front of me called Our Skin that has been endorsed by NACI. Uh, and I'm going to read exactly what this book says. You guys might find it interesting. A long time ago, way before you were born, a group of white people made up an idea called race. They sorted people by skin color and said that white people were better, smarter, prettier, and they deserved more than everybody else. This would be taught if we socialize our pre-K system. This would be taught. Do you disagree with that findings in the book? A thousand percent. How about we teach Jesus loves me? How about about this? In teaching Jesus loves, loves the little children, the lyrics go... Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in our sight. Someone pointed me that this being a truth, that white people developed race, that white people developed that, that all of a sudden that was our word that we developed. The shouty gentleman demanding to know whether it's better to teach Jesus loves me or a Christian or a Christian children's song, a Christian children's song or our skin, a first conversation about race, which is a children's book about race, is Mark Wayne Mullen, a former cage fighter turned Republican senator from Oklahoma, who I should note claims Cherokee heritage and pointed that out in the hearing. It was kind of a dumb question, though, right? I mean, you wouldn't teach a Jesus song in a public elementary school because, well, it's not Sunday school. It's not church. It's a school. And there are likely kids in that school who aren't Christian, don't know who Jesus is and don't care. And their parents, who might be Buddhist or Jewish or Muslim or atheist, etc., have a right to not have their kids, teachers, preach the Jesus to them. But the other reason why the, what the senator said is dumb is that the scary book that he waved around is correct on the facts. Allow me to quote the historians from the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture right here in the nation's capital. Quote, before the mid-1600s, there is no evidence that the English referred to themselves as being white people. This concept did not occur until 1613, when the English society first encountered and contrasted themselves against the East Indians through their colonial pursuits. Even then, there was not a large body of people who considered themselves white, as we know the term today. From about the 1550s to 1600, white was exclusively used to describe elite English women because the whiteness of their skin signaled that they were persons of a high social class who did not go outside to labor. However, the term white did not refer to elite English men because the idea that men did not leave their homes to work could signal that they were lazy, sick, or unproductive. European colonists' use of the word white to refer to people who looked like themselves grew to become entangled with the word race and slave in the American colonies in the mid-1660s. These elites created races of savage Indians, subhuman Africans, and white men. 
the social inventions succeeded in uniting the white colonists, dispossessing and marginalizing Native people and permanently enslaving most African-descended people for generations, unquote. So the answer to your silly question, Senator, the book best used, the, be the book that's best to use if you want to talk to kids about race is the actual book about race that's grounded in historical fact. Because trust me, kids know that race is a thing. But feel free to sing the Jesus song to your kids at home. When we come back, we'll talk more about the right's war on reality from fictional mermaids to the backlash over Pride Month. That is next. It is the first day of Pride Month. Happy Pride, everyone. But this year is a particularly dangerous time for the LGBTQ community in America. Not only do you have states creating laws that ban drag, LGBTQ-themed books, any mention of a person's sexual identity at school, and gender-affirming medical care, this year we are also seeing a relentless hate campaign from the right towards any company that dares to acknowledge pride at all. Take Target, for example, a company that has sold pride merchandise for years. But this year, they're facing an extreme right-wing backlash. A veritable, a veritable online-driven army of Karens and Tuckers are going into stores and harassing employees to punish the stores for simply selling children's clothes with rainbows on them, claiming that they are promoting Satanism and grooming. Bud Light is also experiencing major backlash and profit loss after sending trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney cans of beer with her face on them as part of a sponsorship deal. Mulvaney posted a TikTok with those beers celebrating her first year of womanhood, which caused the right to freak out and boycott the company. The sad part is some of these companies are caving. Target has already pulled some of the pride-themed items from their stores. And don't think others won't follow suit, because any corporation that sees this and thinks my employees' safety and my bottom line are in danger if the right is mad at me will absolutely back down. Joining me now is Tere, creative director at The Grio and host of The Tere Show podcast, as well as the new podcast, Being Black, The 80s, that is out today. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And Brandon Wolf, press secretary for Equality Florida and survivor of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Brandon, I do want to start with you first, because um, this is a, a challenging year for Pride, um, because it does feel like there is a war against the LGBTQ community. Is that how you see it? Yeah, thank you so much. First of all, happy Pride. Uh, it does feel weird to say that being in Florida right now. I promise yeah. you it is legal for me to say happy Pride in Ron DeSantis' <laughs> Florida for now. Uh, but yeah. check back with me in six months and we'll see. But you're right. I mean, we are experiencing not just an assault on LGBTQ people, but an assault on freedom in this country. And I want to say that really clearly for people that this is not simply an assault on freedom for LGBTQ people. It is an assault on basic fundamental civil liberties in service to a right-wing faction in this country that actually doesn't believe in the word freedom at all. For them, freedom, like democracy, is conditional. You have medical freedom so long as we approve of what care you're receiving and when. You have academic freedom so long as you're studying what we tell you to and reading the propagandized history that we've approved. You have the right to vote so long as you're on their team. You have the freedom of speech unless you're a multinational corporation who dares to affirm your support for LGBTQ people. So across the country, we're watching as the LGBTQ community is simply being used as a proxy for the war for control that is being waged by the right wing. And that's why it's not just up to the LGBTQ community to push back. It's it's on everyone. There's nothing yeah. you can do that will satisfy right wing lust for control. And that's why 
you have to be in the fight for freedom as well as I have to be in the fight for freedom. Uh, amen, of course. And to, I mean, as a culture you know, critic and somebody who's, who's, who sort of watches the culture for a living, it is a thing that does feel particularly pointed at the LGBTQ community, but also at the black community, right? Because when what Ron DeSantis' objection to the AP Studies course was that it included queer folks who happened to also be black folks, right? And he said, well, that means it's just completely invalid. And so th- these communities are all getting paired together as sort of, you know, the focus of this really intense, nasty war. I mean, part of this whole conversation is who gets to be a human in the eyes of the right. And of course, LGBTQ folks are not, right? Black folks are not, like women barely are. So all their issues around wokeness, around challenging LGBTQ stuff, around challenging the right to get an abortion and control your own body is about them saying, we don't think you guys are fully human, so you don't get to fully participate in the American democracy. Uh, But let me say one thing. I was doing some research on Twitter, which is the best place to do research, (laughs) and I found what the gay agenda is. Somebody who is LGBT said what the gay agenda is, and it it. said the gay agenda is to stay alive. Right. That's it. They're not trying to change your children and they can't change. No one can change. No No one can make somebody who is straight into a gay person. Nobody can make a cis person into a trans person if they don't want to make that journey. Right. They want to stay alive. We should participate in helping them stay alive. Absolutely. And I mean, Brandon, the the, re, the, the proof of that is that some of these ki- people's own children are gay or are trans and they reject that. And since they can't control what their children are, they think the government can step in or like an army of Karens can do it. But here is the good news. I'm going to give one piece of good news because it is pride and, and I want my colorful shirt for pride. So I want to do something positive. Three out of four survey respondents who talked to the Gallup said they feel comfortable seeing LGBTQ people in advertisements. Almost 70 percent reported feeling comfortable seeing an LGBTQ family with children in ads. Most people think woke is a positive term. Most people are actually pretty affirming. It's just this army of mean. It's a minority of people who are basically driving this. Absolutely. And, you know, my boss loves to say that right wing backlash is a lagging indicator of society. They would not be fighting so hard to take away people's right to vote if so many people that they didn't want voting had the right to vote. They would not be trying so hard to ban books about queer people if there weren't more books with queer people in them than ever before. They would not be trying so hard to erase influencers like Dylan Mulvaney if influencers like Dylan Mulvaney were not being hired to do sponsored advertisements. So it really is a lagging indicator. And I think it's a good reminder for people that the right wing is fighting so hard because they know they've already lost the culture war. And for me, that is a reminder this pride season that pride, yes, is about the parades, the parties, the corporate logos, all of the things that it has become known for today. But it remains a protest. Remember, pride began as a protest against government intimidation and conformity to gendered clothing. That is the birth of pride as we know it today. We got to get back to those roots and we have to remind people that not only can we win, but we're already winning. I have already won. And uh, Tori, you, you have this great podcast coming up that is going to talk about the 80s. And, you know, I'm not going to age myself, but I might have been in high school in the 80s. You know, and it, 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 is a, it is an interesting thing because there is a generational divide. If you even just look at the LGBTQ community, more younger people identify as LGBTQ relative to people who are like Gen X. Talk a little bit about how 
culture and music and what you're going to be talking about on your podcast sort of ties into these shifts in culture. I mean, what we're doing on Being Black the 80s, we're talking about the big political issues of the 80s through the lens of songs. And there's one episode that actually really fits into this really well. We talk about Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out, which was constructed mm-hmm. to be a gay anthem like uh, like I'm Black and I'm Proud. And it's part of this whole disco movement, right? Late 70s disco was gigantic. And that really helps propel the gay liberation effort that really takes kicks off in the 80s on another level. Obviously, there was fighting in the 70s, but in the 80s, it goes to another level. And one of the people I interviewed was come came out to his father in the mid-70s. And his father said, that's fine, but I don't know any happy gay adults. And as the flowering of disco was happening on this national stage, this young man was saying, look, here's a lot of happy gay adults. And he felt more comfortable to be gay. Absolutely. And the 70s, and I am fascinated by the 70s, but the 60s, 70s, and 80s are fascinating eras. I'm so glad that you're doing something that focuses on it. And there was some pretty darn good music in that era as well. Torre, Brandon Wolf, happy pride. And we're going to make it happy. happy they can't pride. stop our happy. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Okay, one last thing. Be sure to check out the readout blog for top news of the day. Tonight, read Jahan Jones on Marjorie Taylor Greene's absurd excuse for why Republicans are withholding January 6th footage after previously claiming that they wanted it released to the masses. These people just cannot get their stories straight. And that is tonight's readout. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC.